We're going to take a, <clears throat> an evening to read through some verses from the book of James. So if you want to flip over your service sheet, you'll find the verses we're going to be referring to on the back of that. James 1, 19 to 27. Let's read God's word together. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless." Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. We're sort of diving in in a fairly uh, random spot in this letter that James has written. Uh, James has written this letter to a group of churches and what he's trying to do through the entire letter, and if you, if you read on, you'll know, you'll see what, it, what he's doing. But what, he, what he's trying to do is distinguish two types of religion that are found in every church under the sun. Every Christian church, you see two types of religion within it. That might sound ridiculous because surely everybody is a Christian in a church. Isn't that the point of churches? And the answer to that is, yes, we hope so. But as James takes a lot, of, a lot of time and a lot of detail to point out, not everybody who goes to church is following real religion. Okay, so he spends the entire letter showing that there are two different religions within a church to various proportions, but you will find it there pretty much in every local church. And so what we're going to look at this evening um, are two um, characteristics, if you like, of real religion, of true religion, of authentic Bible Christianity. And then we're going to compare it to the sort of the fake kind, you know, the counterfeit kind, both of which we see in the churches, according to James. So what we're going to see, number one, is that real religion, the real stuff, means, number one, deep commitment to the word. Secondly, we're going to see real religion means deep commitment to deeds. And thirdly, we're going to see how the gospel keeps us balanced between the two. Okay? How do you know if you follow the real religion of the Bible, the gospel of Jesus Christ and everything that he teaches, or some sort of fake, twisted version? Well, first of all, according to James, if you follow the real religion of the Bible, you will be deeply committed to the Word. That is, the Word of God as found in the Scriptures. That's how you know. 
Look at verses 19 and 20. This is the attitude of those who follow the real religion, the real Bible religion. He says, know this, my beloved brothers. And by the way, when he says brothers, he's referring to all members of the church, men and women. That was the terminology they used originally, but that's what it is. Beloved brothers and sisters, let every person be quick to hear, slow to anger, sorry, slow to speak and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. If you have your Bible with you, um, if you don't, that's okay, I'm about to read it, but track back a little bit. Verse 18, it's not printed on your sheet, but it says this, God brought us forth, that is, gave birth to us, by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruit. Okay, so what, what, what James has just been saying is that the reason you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, is because God has given you birth. And he's done that through his word. Okay, that's how you're a Christian. So when we come to verses 19 and 20, and it says, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, he's not talking about conflict resolution within the church. Okay, they're, they're quite good, you know, they're, they're good, it's good wisdom for that, but that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about our attitude to the word of God which has given you birth. And that word of God, if you follow the real religion, you will be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Because real religion means a deep commitment to the word. What does he mean? Quick to hear is being under the word of God, listening to the word of God, you know, coming to him in a stance, in a position of readiness when God speaks to your heart, when our minds are attuned to him, we are poised, we are expectant, we position ourselves and place ourselves in a position where we can hear God speak. That's what it means to be quick to hear. And that's what happens, by the way, isn't it, when we gather together. Let's be quick to hear. And therefore, if we're quick to hear, the flip side of that is that we are slow to speak. We, we, we come to God and we, we listen to him with a, a, a stance of readiness and openness and ex expectation. And what we're going to do is shut our mouths and listen to him. We're going to allow his word to resonate, to percolate within us, to do its work within us. And so those who follow the real, true, pure religion of the Bible, as James would have it, says that we are prevented then from rushing in with our judgment, our hasty opinions. Instead, we listen to God's word with humility. I love this little uh, quote here from Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Way back in the Old Testament, the writer says this. He's talking about coming to the place of worship. And he says, Ecclesiastes 5, Guard your steps when you go to the house of God, that was the, the temple, to draw near, to listen, is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know they're doing evil. Listen, do not be rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. The writer of Ecclesiastes, James himself, are both saying, when it comes to the word of God, Listen and shut your mouth. Doesn't mean to say that we're not going to have opinions, we're not going to try and think and understand and speak back. Absolutely, yes. But in the first instant, we listen and we are slow to offer our opinion back to God, if you like. 
quick to hear, slow to speak. Thirdly, slow to anger. Why would he put that in there when he's talking about our response to God's word? Why should we be slow to anger if we follow the real religion? Well, if you're familiar at all with the Bible, you will know that parts of it are offensive. Parts of the scripture cut it's sharp when you listen to god's word when you are slow to speak it will cut through your bluster it will reveal your sin it will challenge you to the core it forces you to accept the bible's diagnosis of our desperate situation the writer of hebrew puts it hebrews puts it like this the word of god is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. He's saying the same thing that James is saying. God's word will cut deep. And that's why James says if we are truly committed to the word, we will allow it to do its work. We'll be slow to anger. Why might we be angry at what the Bible teaches Well, let's think about it for a second, because when you read the scriptures, you'll realize that Old and New Testament addresses so many issues that we are facing today in in our own world. The Bible is clear on issues such as human sexuality, on gender identity, on the relationship between men and women, on the sanctity of human life, what we do with our money, how we spend our time, what should we prioritize in our lives, how we treat one another, what behavior and attitudes within the church should be dealt with. The Bible touches on all of these issues and many more. And those who follow the real religion will know that God's word is radical. It goes deep. And so therefore we listen to God's word with trembling and awe. In contrast, according to James, the follower of counterfeit religion, the fake form, will just become angry and resentful against God, against the clear teaching of Scripture, because it doesn't doesn't fit into their system, their thought processes. They'll get wild. According to James, this anger will not produce righteousness. It won't produce fruit in terms of virtue or justice or a life of integrity. These these fruits will not come from fake religion, only through real religion. According to verse 21, It says, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. (coughs) See, what we're to do is to take in God's word, to allow it to take root, that implanted word. Got to let it take hold of us and develop from within us. If you follow the, the fake religion, the sort of Christian pretender, then you might hear on one level, but that stuff won't get deep down inside of you. 
It won't produce this fruit that he's talking about. You won't be motivated to get rid of this, what he describes as filthiness and, and wickedness and all this stuff. You won't want to do that. Part of my trip to Ghana on the f- Monday, I went to, uh, they, took, they put us in a, in, in a minibus and we went about four hours along the coast uh, to a place called Cape Coast. Um, and uh, there's an old fort in Cape Coast. It's about 350 years old. And this fort was built by the Swedish and then it was taken over by the Danish and finally it was handed over to the British. Three sort of uh, generations, if you like, of European uh, owners. And the reason why this slave was there was to protect the interests of those countries in West Africa. And each of those countries, including the British, took slaves from Western Africa, men and women who they thought could be better used elsewhere in the world. They, they took them against their will. They brought them to the fort. They put them down in these uh, cells underground and they kept them there for weeks or even months before they were going to get deported to South America, the Caribbean, even North America. And they took us down into these cells and you go down and you just, even after a few minutes, you feel the, the, the heaviness of the air, the warmth and yet it's so dark. And we walk down the exact same pathway the many African slaves walked down, except the difference being we had shoes on. They didn't. And we were gathered in one of the cells, which was probably a, about a quarter of the size of this room. And that would be big enough, they said, for 200 slaves to fit. All in all, they had five such places, a thousand slaves at any one time would be put in these cells. And for a moment or two, once we were all gathered in there, this uh, tour group, they switched off the light and uh, there was a tiny, tiny little window way up, probably about 15 feet in the air. That was the only light they had, weeks or even months, crammed together. Why am I telling you this? Because in this fort, there was also a church. And do you know where the church was located? Right on top of the cells. A matter of feet between the slaves underneath and the good Christian people upstairs. Whilst they were gathering to listen to the word of God and hear about his love and talk about the gospel, below them were up to a thousand people enslaved and treated effectively like animals. This is an example, folks, of how it is possible to hear the word of God at one level and yet refuse to let it take root in your life. These people in this church and this fort were busy listening to the word of God and yet it went in one ear and out the other whilst a matter of feet below them were people being deprived of their freedom. You see, folks, it is possible to think that you are good with God. It is possible even to attend a church and be familiar with everything that happens inside it. But it is also possible to do all those things and have a gaping hole within your life. (coughs) 
these people in this fort, in that church, were not listening to the word of God in the way that James talks about. They were not letting the implanted word get deep into their lives. So how do you know? How do you know that you are deeply committed to the word of God, therefore follow the real religion as opposed to the fake stuff? How do you know that's not you? Well, let me ask you this. When was the last time God disagreed with you about something you do? When was the last time you heard God's word when you read the Bible for yourself, for example, when you were jarred by what it said, when something clashed against the way you think and believe and behave? When was the last time you were challenged or shocked or spooked about something in your life based on what you heard and read in the scriptures? Because that is what the word of God does, not all the time necessarily, but from time to time. It cuts deep. When was the last time God disagreed with you? Has he ever disagreed with you? Does he always affirm you and what you're doing and and, and just love you? Because if that's the case, if God has never disagreed with anything you have ever said or done, the chances are you are not following the God who reveals himself in the scriptures. I wonder if this describes your approach to God's word. Are you quick to hear, putting yourself in every possible position to hear from God's word? Are you slow to speak? That is slow to conclude you know what it's saying. Are you slow to anger? Instead, receiving with meekness and humility what God has for your life before you think of 10 reasons why he's wrong and you're just going to carry on anyway. Here at Foundation Church, we are committed to hearing God's word. And that's why we take every effort every Sunday to open the Bible, to read it together, and to hear what it is saying through opening it up and explaining it clearly. We do that as well through uh, community Bible reading. Many of you have um, got a community Bible reading journal. We read along (coughs) every day um, the same Bible passages. We, we pray it through as individuals and then we share one insight, the main insight from each day to a little group of people. That's another way that we try and come under the word with humility. If you're not familiar with community Bible reading and you'd like to uh, think about taking that on, I'd love to speak to you afterwards and I can point you in the right direction. Even our life groups, that's what they're all about. It's coming under God's word and responding. Real religion means deep commitment to the word. Are you deeply committed to the word? Okay, second, then James takes it on another step. Real religion, if you truly follow the religion of the Bible, it means a deep commitment to deeds, to work. That's how how we respond to God's word, rather, distinguishes the difference between fake religion and real religion. Look down at verse 22. This is the the key verse in the rest of this passage. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. 
Be doers of the word. Don't just listen to it, do it. And then he gives us this sort of uh, metaphor, this picture, um, if you like. Someone uh, who is a hearer of the word and not a doer is like a man or a woman who looks intently at their face in a mirror. He looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. <coughs> See, according to James, who, who has written this, yes, we need the word. Yes, we need to hear what God is saying. But that in itself is not enough. We are not to be hearers only. We're to be doers of the word. The proof is that those who follow the real religion will be committed to deeds as well as words. That's how you tell if someone has responded to God's word or not. Look at their lives. Look at how they spend their money and their time. Look at what is important in their lives by the way they live it. Then you'll know. Have they listened to God's word? Have they been transformed by it? He says, if you hear the word only but don't do it, you are deceiving yourselves. You're like someone who looks at themselves in a mirror and then forgets what they were like. Ultimately, he says, these people, it doesn't make any difference. It hasn't made any change in their lives. It hasn't made any impact. But those who follow the real religion of the Bible are like the ones who look at the perfect law, verse 25, the law of liberty, and they persevere, they carry on. Being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he or she will be blessed in their doing. You'll be blessed. Fruit. You see, folks, in our churches, and maybe Foundation Church is no exception, I pray it will be, but in our churches in general across the province, and further afield in the west of Europe. It is so easy for so many people to, to listen and hear preaching and to accumulate knowledge, Bible knowledge. But they're just like a man who looks in a mirror intently and then shut up our books and our Bibles and walk away and go home with no change in our lives. In one ear and out the other. No transformation, no deeds worth mentioning. And I wonder, is there any surprise that the numbers of church-attending believers in Northern Ireland is falling year on year? If all we're doing is filling our minds with Bible knowledge but doing nothing with it. Let's not be foolish. There's a reason why people do this. There's a reason why you might be tempted to do this. There's a reason why James labours hard to point this out. Because it's easy for us to appear religious, right? It's easy for us to hear and not do. It's easy for us to feel superior against other Christians because we know more about the Bible than they do. It's easy for us to think that we are saved, that we're good with God because we know about the Bible's teaching. It's easy for us to, to listen to a good sermon, to nod in general agree agreement. But according to James in this text, if we do nothing with the knowledge that we have gained, then our religion is false. If we sit and listen passively to year upon year of good, solid gospel Bible teaching and do nothing with it, he says in verse 26, your religion 
is worthless. That word in the original Greek means empty, pointless, like an idol made of wood. It is nothing. That is what your religion is if you do nothing with it, says James. You may have heard this illustration before, certainly not original to me. <coughs> uh, for those of you who are parents, you maybe uh, understand a little bit about what this could be like. But say you have a child and you tell your child to go and tidy their room. As a parent, you're looking for a response, aren't you? You're looking for your child to listen to you, to obey what you're saying, and to go and tidy his or her room. But imagine if you say to your child, go and tidy your room, and then two hours later, they come back to you and they say this, Mom, Dad, I have memorized what you said to me two hours earlier. In fact, I've actually exegeted the text, I've learnt it in the original language, and I've made a nice wall hanging of your command to go in my bedroom. As a mum or a dad, do you think you would be happy with your child's response to your command? Was that what you were intending them to go and do with your commandment? No, of course not. But that is what happens to us when we hear the word of God and we study it and we make wall hangings out of it and we put it in calendars and we try and memorize it and all that. And yet we don't do what is intended to do with it. See folks, the danger <clears throat> of failing to be doers of the word, and this is so key for us at Foundation Church, the danger of failing to be doers is that the world outside will not be able to see in us what real faith looks like. There is a lost world out there that needs us to be not only hearers of the word, but they need us to be doers of the word. And so if we fail to hear and to do, we just confirm their worst fears that we are a holy huddle we are a bunch of artificial hypocrites, holier than thou, who just believe a bunch of stuff, but they're just as bad as the rest of us. In fact, sometimes worse. If we are not doers of the word. And then James brings it home by giving us three measures for us to assess ourselves by to know whether we are doing the word. Because it's all very well, we're sitting here talking about hearing and doing, and what does that look like? <coughs> But he gets real specific and he highlights what I believe are, are three issues within the churches he's writing to and therefore there's every good chance that they are issues within us as well. How do you know you're doing the word? Well he says in verse 26, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle, that is control, <coughs> his tongue, he deceives his heart and this person's religion is worthless. The first way you know you're doing the word hearing it, doing the word, is by controlling your tongue. He goes into a load of more detail in chapter 3 about the tongue and the devastating impact of the tongue. But do you control your tongue? Do you have control over it? Have you mastered it or has it mastered you? How do you use your tongue in your speech? Do you speak out 
words of truth and honour and love? Are you slow to anger? Or on your honest days, would you say that you are more characterised by lashing out, chronically angry, aggressive and manipulative? Is that how you use your tongue? And I'm not talking about the occasional sin or, or messing up because, okay, fine. We all do that. We use our tongues in wrong ways from time to time. But I'm talking here, and James is talking here about a habitual pattern of sin <coughs> that never changes. If you can control your tongue, the chances are you're doing the word. It is having an impact and effect in you. If you cannot, and if you will not, then you've probably just heard the word, but you're not doing it. Controlling your tongue and your words. Number two, second measure that you know you're doing the word is by your works. <clears throat> 27, verse 27, religion, this is the one that so many people love. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Orphans and widows are sort of shorthand, particularly within the Old Testament, shorthand for the most vulnerable of society. Probably, literally, they are orphans and literally they are widows. But it came to mean everybody who was sort of kicked to the dust by the rest of society. Those are the lowest rung of the ladder. Most likely in the Old Testament times, they were orphans and widows. They were people who had, they were women who had no, no husband, they were children who had no father. They were vulnerable as a result. They were easily oppressed. They were easily abused. They were easily denied justice because they're just orphans. They're just widows. They have no one to protect them, no one to stand up for them. But James says, if you follow the real religion, of the Bible, if your heart is truly transformed by the gospel word, then you will care for the orphans and the widows. You will visit them in their affliction. You will get down into the dust and join them in their suffering so that you may lift them up. It's interesting, isn't it? Verse 27, do you see that? Undefiled before God the Father. James didn't need to add that piece of detail, but he does because God is a father and he's a father to the orphans and he's a husband to the widows. And so God's people who are transformed by God's word are to be that, they are to play that role to those who have neither. They are to represent the heart of God to the poor <coughs> and the vulnerable. I saw this played out so clearly in my mind anyway when I was again back in Ghana last week I saw how people represented God's heart for the vulnerable. Um, the focus, as I mentioned, um, of the work in Ghana is the trafficking of young children around Volta, Lake Volta, the world's largest man-made lake. But the most challenging part I found, one of the most challenging parts, most encouraging, most inspiring, were pastors, local church pastors in rural rural areas who took God's word seriously. Pastors whose churches were, were pretty much breeze block walls with a bit of corrugated iron on top. <clears throat> it's 
through the, the outreach and the work of IJM, many of these pastors, these seasoned, Bible-believing, Jesus-loving pastors, heard about biblical justice for the first time. This major theme that is traced through the entire Bible, both Old and New Testament, many of these seasoned pastors heard about this for the first time. They knew about evangelism, they knew about the love of God, they knew about heaven and hell, but they didn't know about biblical justice, God's heart for justice, his desire for the poor and the vulnerable. But these pastors who came together, who heard this teaching from (coughs) the outreach workers with IJM, once they saw God's heart for the, the lost and the lowly, once they saw how deeply radical God's word was, they listened, they were quick to hear, they were slow to speak, they were slow to anger. And this gap in their understanding that was now being filled in by the word of God stirred their faith, stirred them to repentance and stirred them to action. They realized on the basis of God's word, it is not okay for children to be trafficked across the lake. It is not okay. And we will bring an end to this as pastors of local churches. And so as a result, they set up committees and working groups to tackle the problem of child slavery. They traveled many miles to remote areas to continue to teach the message of God's justice to other pastors. And it is just growing and growing and growing. More are hearing and more are being influenced and more communities are being changed. When these men heard God's word and became doers of the word, looking out for the orphans and the widows. That's just one example. Three measures. Controls your words, controls your work, and thirdly and finally, it controls the way you interact with the world. 27b, keep oneself unstained from the world. I'm not going to go into much detail about this because there's so much that we could say, but the bottom line is this. <coughs> if you are deeply committed to the word and deeply committed to deeds, then you will look radically different from the world. And the world here is defined or described as those who are against Jesus and his church. You will look radically different. Keep yourself away from the stain of the world, he says. That's how you know. So, real religion means, number one, deep commitment to the word. Number two, it means deep commitment to deeds. Thirdly and finally, I want to wrap up by showing how the gospel of Jesus helps to keep us balanced. We're to be hearers of the word and we're to be doers of the word. We're to be both, not half in half, not a sort of mediocre, pasty mixture of both. We are to be 100% hearers of the word, 100% doers of the word. But that's not easy. It's very easy, in fact, for us to become unbalanced. Churches, in general, will have a culture that leads one direction or another. There'll either be word churches that are all about the word, or there'll be deed churches, which are all about getting out there and and bringing justice to the poor. But you don't hear much about the scriptures, not as much as you'd like. (coughs) 
But I'll put it to you this evening. And I want to send you home with this in your mind. The gospel of Jesus Christ sets us free from being forced to choose between word and deeds. Why is that? Let me show you. Jesus Christ came to earth. He was the teacher. He was the word of God made flesh. He was the final revelation of God to us. When he taught, people were amazed. They said he is like one who has authority. Authority like that we've never heard from before. He was a teacher. He gave the word. You see, at the center of the Christian faith is a deed. There's an action. And we see the work of Christ on the cross. You see, when Jesus was nailed to the cross, he was effectively silent. Teaching was over. Class had ended. Now it was time for him to do the work. And he did that when he died in our place. You see, in the gospel, Jesus was fully word, but he was the fully our deed as well. He didn't hide or scrimp or minimize one or the other. His teaching got him to trouble, but he never held back. He never shied away. That's the reason why they killed him. But his deed and his work saved us. If there was no word, if there was no teaching, he'd just be a man dying on a cross. It wouldn't mean anything to us. We wouldn't understand what he did and why it helps us. <coughs> if it was just a teaching, then Jesus would simply be a moral teacher. He would be a, a one religious leader among many, but lacking power to change our lives and to save us from eternal death. But in Jesus, we have both. Can you see how the gospel presents prevents us from this unbalanced religion. How the gospel protects us from the error of choosing either word or deed. Because Christ is the word and the gospel is a deed. For Christians who are prone to emphasise the word, may the work of Christ, his deeds, have a radical effect in their lives. And for Christians that are prone to emphasising deeds, may the teaching of Christ, may the explanation of what he's done, the fact that he was the word made flesh, may that explain why we should be sent out to do good works. As my prayer, folks, at Foundation Church, <coughs> that we will be a church that is equally committed to word and deed. We've got to hear the call and be transformed and humbly listen to God's word and the gospel of Christ. We've got to do that. But also we've got to become radically committed doers of the word. Proving that we have heard rightly and demonstrating to the world out there the awesome effect of God's word in God's people. And you see, if we get this right, if we are hearers and doers of the word, it will produce among you, among us, a radical, transformational community. One that is deeply attractive to the outside world. One that functions as light in the darkness. The question I want to leave you with this evening is this. Are you prepared to be both a hearer of the word and a doer? Or will you content yourself with counterfeit religion. Let's pray.
Father God, you have spoken so clearly to us through your Son, Jesus Christ. You've spoken so clearly to us through the scriptures that point to Jesus and that call us to live for him. And so this evening, in response to your word, we pray that you would refresh our conviction in your word. We pray that you would provide us a deeper taste of your goodness as we open the scriptures and read and listen to you. Father, we pray for courage to act, especially when you address parts of our lives that are painful, parts of our lives that we keep to ourselves that we haven't traditionally wanted you to speak to. Father, grant your Holy Spirit, give us power to turn it all back to you. You are God, our Father. Holy Spirit, would you fill us? Would you help us to hear your voice? Would you help us to listen to you in humility? Teach us to be doers of the word, Holy Spirit. Help us to control our tongue, to use it to glorify you. Help us to go out to the poor and the vulnerable to show the love of God the Father to them. Spirit, help us to engage with the world in a way that brings glory to Jesus and brings light into the darkness. We look to you, all-powerful one. In the name of Jesus we pray, and for his glory. Amen. Amen.